Hello, friends, and welcome to episode four of Frankie's Mama Reads. I'm your host, Jess, and I am Frankie's Mama, and I read books. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Goodreads at Frankie's Mama Reads. Now, today I will be talking all about cozy mysteries. Cozies are a perfect distraction because they're light, they're often funny, and they're always quick to read. Think of these as the hallmark movies of mystery books. Today, I'll be helping you find a cozy mystery series based on how you've been spending your time during this pandemic. Before we dive in, I first want to do my weekly small bookish business shout out. This week, since we're talking about getting cozy, I want to let you guys know about an Etsy shop called Book Nook Sleeves. You can find the link in the episode notes. These sleeves are a fun way to keep your books or tablet cozy and safe. They have some really cute prints too. My favorites actually are the Beauty and the Beast ones. And there's this one galaxy glitter one. You guys have to check it out. Booknik Sleeves is based in North Dakota, so in the U.S. And they just had their 100th Etsy sale, which is totally awesome. I love supporting small bookish businesses. And I do these shoutouts for free during the pandemic because we can all use a shoutout right about now. If you know of a small bookish business that you love and want me to spotlight, just like Book Nook Sleeves, let me know and I'll make it happen. Now, let's talk cozy mysteries. So cozy mysteries come with a variety of themes. They often feature a small business owner in a small town who sets out to protect their town from a murderer and protect their friends from being wrongly accused. They generally aren't law enforcement professionals, and they almost always break some basic law of investigation, often being caught in a light, funny way. We're talking illegal searches, impersonating a cop, maybe breaking and entering, or at least trespassing, maybe taking evidence, illegal recordings, things like that. So pretty major crimes, but it's a cozy, they get away with it, everyone laughs. Now, I've read a ton of cozies over the years, and in doing so, I've come up with a sort of recipe, if you will, that makes up my favorite kind of cozy mystery. So first, let's talk about this recipe. The first ingredient in a cozy mystery is a small town. We're talking amateur sleuths, so being set in a small town just makes it easier for the sleuth to do her, or sometimes his, sleuthing. The second ingredient in a cozy mystery is a sidekick. Every good sleuth needs an Ethel to her Lucy or a Samwise to his Frodo. The third ingredient for a cozy mystery is a pet. Most cozies have pets as co-stars in some capacity. Some series feature pets quite heavily, but almost all sleuths own a pet. The fourth ingredient is food. So it doesn't have to be a culinary cozy to mention food constantly. Regardless of the sleuth's day job, they're going to mention a few of their meals. If it's a culinary cozy mystery where the sleuth is a baker or a chef, it will even have recipes in the book. And in the case of one of the books we talk about today, it has a couple of recipes even though it isn't a culinary cozy at all. The fifth and final ingredient to a cozy mystery is a love triangle. 
Now, this ingredient is optional, but is often included. Since cozies tend to be part of a series, this love triangle doesn't always start off in book one. The books I'll be talking about today are all the first books in their series. So I'll let you know why this book is a great choice for you based on the hobby you've taken up during this pandemic. I'll of course let you know the basic plot for each and what number book each series is on now. And I'll let you know how each book stacks up to the recipe for a perfect cozy mystery. Alright, so let's get started. If you've been spending a lot of time during this pandemic baking, then you will definitely want to check out the queen of all culinary cozies, Joanne Fluke's books about the baker, Hannah Swenson. The first book in this series is called Chocolate Chip Cookie Murder. Now, if that title sounds familiar and you are an avid watcher of Hallmark murder mystery movies, then you may have heard of this because five of Joanne Fluke's books have been turned into Hallmark movies, and the first one was Chocolate Chip Cookie Murder. They starred Allison Sweeney and Cameron Matheson as the lead character, or the lead male character. Um, they did not follow the books, so if you've seen the movies, just know that these books are different than the movies, and Honestly, they're worse than the books. The books are so good, but the movies were, eh, they were okay. I mean, they're Hallmark movies, so. But I actually love Hallmark movies, and I guess if you haven't read the book, they would be awesome. But I've read the books. So, this first book was published in April of 2000, so this book is 20 years old this month. We are now at the 25th book in this series. That one came out in February. And the 26th book is set to be published this fall. So we're talking a monster series right here. Like I said, she is the queen of culinary mysteries. This was not Joanne Fluke's debut novel, but she has solely focused on this series for the past 20 years. The writing, the characters, and the storylines have evolved over the years a bit, um, the first book is a bit dated, so with all books that are written 20 or more years ago, you have to allow for some dated words and some dated technology for sure. In this first book, Hannah Swenson, our protagonist, is 29 years old and owns a bakery called The Cookie Jar. So in this book, one day she is on her way to The Cookie Jar, sometime close to 7 a.m., when she sees Ron, a milk delivery man, in his truck and waves hello as always. It's a small town. So Ron was this town's star football player in high school, but his career ended senior year when he tore a ligament. So he's been working at the dairy farm ever since. Anyway, Ron and Hannah exchange smiles and they go about their way. Now he always arrives to her shop by a certain time. I think it's 7.30 in the morning. So she knows she'll see him in a bit, and he's never late by more than a minute. But his truck always gives him some trouble, so when he doesn't arrive on time, she goes out to check on him. When she does, she finds him parked right outside the cookie jar with a bullet wound in his chest and her chocolate chip crunch cookies in his hand. Now this plot is pretty typical of a Hannah Swenson murder mystery. 
the victim tends to be somebody who's holding her cookie or has just visited her cookie shop or something similar. But the cookies are always a big part. Which brings us to the recipe for the perfect cozy mystery. The first ingredient is a small town. So Hannah Swenson lives in Lake Eden, Minnesota, which is a very small town. It's actually fictional, but there is an Eden Lake township in Minnesota, so I'm guessing this has some similarities to that, although I did look it up, and that township is half the size of Lake Eden. Lake Eden is pretty small as it is, so um, definitely has the small town. The second ingredient being the sidekick. So Hannah's sidekick is Andrea, her middle sister, who is also a real estate agent in town. Now in Cozy Mysteries, you tend to learn a lot about the protagonist's family. So we know Andrea and we know her younger sister is Michelle. And throughout the series, you actually get to learn quite a bit about all of her family, including her mom, who I'll mention in a second. Third ingredient is a pet. Hannah has Moisha, who is a 25-pound orange tomcat. Now, if you watched the Hallmark movie, Moisha is not 25 pounds, he is not orange, and he's not a tomcat. So they didn't stick to the book with Moisha either. But he sounds really cool in the book. Fourth ingredient is food. So Hannah owns the cookie jar. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of food. The cookie jar is a bakery and a coffee shop. And this is a true culinary cozy by every definition. It has several recipes in each book. This book alone has 16 recipes in it. These, of course, include the title Chocolate Chip Cookie, which is actually a chocolate chip cookie crunch. It uses cornflakes. Definitely check that one out. But there's also a recipe in here for lemon bars and pecan chews. Now, some other recipes in other books of hers are for cocoa fudge cake, there's a strawberry bread and banana frosted peanut butter cookies. Some books even have savory recipes if Hannah or another Lake Eden resident made something that was notable. And this brings us to the last ingredient for a cozy mystery, which is a love triangle. So in book one, we meet Norman, who is a dentist. He's new in town. He's taking over the practice for his dad. Now, Norman is a bit older than Hannah and is balding, but he's a really sweet guy, and Hannah's mom, Dolores, is solidly on hashtag Team Norman. The other guy in the triangle is the very handsome young detective named Mike. He's also new in town in book one, as he's a new cop in town that's investigating the murder. I won't spoil this book, but just know this love triangle evolves with each book, and it actually reminds me of the Team Jacob, Team Edward back when Twilight was still cool. So like I said, Chocolate Chip Cookie Murder is the first book of the Hannah Swenson series. It has a 3.71 on Goodreads with 43,000 ratings, so that's a lot of ratings. This one has been out for quite some time, and it's super popular. But if you are into baking, I would highly recommend this one, if nothing else, for the recipes. But honestly, the book is really good. It's funny, light like a cozy mystery should be, and is a perfect distraction. Alright, so if baking is not really your thing, and you've been doing a lot more just relaxing, spa time, taking baths, and 
lighting candles, or maybe even making candles, then the book you may want to check out is Murder's No Votive Confidence, which is book one of the Nantucket Candle Maker Mystery Series. This book is by Kristen Brecher, and it was published in June of 2019. The second book is already out, and the third will be published in August. Now, this is her debut novel, which I have to say is surprising because it is such a great book, debut or not. So in Murder's No Votive Confidence, we meet Stella, who owns a local candle shop called The Wick and Flame in Nantucket Island, and she's been asked to create a candle theme for a wedding. She even created a custom unity candle, which this thing is described as being huge and heavy, and it ends up being used as a murder weapon. So the bride's estranged uncle is in town to walk her down the aisle, but unfortunately, someone has murdered him at the Melville Inn, where the wedding was taking place, with the unity candle. Now, Bill, the local bartender and really close friend of Stella's, gets arrested and charged for the murder. But Stella is sure he didn't do it. See, Bill and Maud, his wife, had been a great help to Stella in the past, so she feels like she owes it to him to find the real murderer. Plus, this whole thing isn't helping her candle business at all, since everyone knows that her candle was the murder weapon. So let's see how this one stacks up to the recipe for a cozy mystery. First, the small town. So this is set on Nantucket Island. It's actually set over Memorial Day, so this is also really timely. And Nantucket Island, being an island, is definitely a small town. The inn in the book is named The Melville, and the restaurant is Ahab's Hello Literary Reference. But really, it's a perfect tie-in because Moby Dick is set in Nantucket, and Herman Melville even stayed there and was inspired by Nantucket. This book really makes you feel like you're in Nantucket for Memorial Day. There's mention of a real museum, a real theater, even a real coffee shop. The descriptions of the streets are even accurate, so the book definitely transports you to Nantucket. Ingredient number two, a sidekick. Stella's sidekick is Emily, her very pregnant friend and wedding planner, who she is working with for this wedding. And like all good sidekicks, Emily is her opposite in a lot of ways and provides a good balance in the book. Ingredient number three, a pet. Stella doesn't own a pet outright, but there is a pet in this book named Tinker, who has a big role in the storyline and even the mystery. To avoid spoilers, I'm leaving it there. Ingredient number four, food. So while this one doesn't feature food and has no recipes at the end, Stella definitely eats. There are lots of nice meals, so think seafood and food on wedding menus. The book won't leave you starving like a lot of other cozies and definitely not like a Hannah Swenson book will, but it might make you crave crab cake or even a cupcake. Alright, the fifth ingredient to a cozy mystery is a love triangle. So this is another ingredient that is sort of there but not as prevalent as others, at least for book one. So we meet Peter, a journalist who is new in town, just like Hannah Swenson's Mike who is new in town, and there's also a cop, Andy, 
whose personality actually reminds me a bit of Hannah Swenson's Mike. Stella has known him a while, and he has a girlfriend, but he's described as really good-looking, and this is just book one, so the triangle is probably just being built. So this book, Murder's No Vote of Confidence, has a 3.94 rating on Goodreads with 296 ratings. It is pretty new, um, but it is really good, and I'm really excited to read the next one. I haven't yet. But it also had me wanting to make candles after reading this. I even may have googled how to make candles. And I even looked at a website that you could purchase some soy candle ingredients and wicks and oils and all sorts of stuff. I may have even had it in a shopping cart. And then I realized that was one step too far. I am not a candle maker. So I will leave the candle making to Stella and I'll keep reading about her making it. But... If you have been making candles, this is definitely the book for you. If you haven't been making candles, maybe you've been doing something that a lot of people are doing right now, which is writing letters. Or maybe your mail carrier has become the only human that you've talked to in the past two weeks, one month, however long this has been going on. If so, you might be interested in a book called Stamped Out. This is by Tanya Capps, and it was published in October of 2019. The next book, Address for Murder, was published in December, and the third book is set to be published in May, so these are coming out quick. The author has actually written a ton of cozies, including some paranormal and ghost-themed mysteries, um, a coffee-themed mystery, and one series with an RV camper theme. Her books are all set in Kentucky, I believe, so if you like a little southern charm, these may be your cup of sweet tea. I also listened to this in audio form, and it was really cute because you actually get to hear this um, accent. It kind of sounded like Reba McIntyre at times, so if that's your vibe, definitely check the audiobook out. Now in this book, we meet Bernadette Davis, who is a small town mail carrier who everyone in town seems to want to set up with on dates. She's a widow, and her son Grady is now grown and married, so they think she must be lonely. She keeps herself busy, though, with everyone else's information that she learns by being their mail carrier. She's kind of a chismosa, if you know what chismosa means. It's basically a nosy person, but she means well. She's not, like out there spreading people's business. She's just paying attention and keeping her ears wide awake. So during her mail route, she always stops to feed a duck in the pond, which is a bonus animal reference, I will say. And when she does, she stumbles upon the body of Chuck Schilling. So Chuck was the owner of the Sugar Creep Gap Country Club that is being sold to turn into condos. This is super controversial in the book. She learned about the sale during her mail route, too. She also learned during her route that her late husband's best friend, Mac, is the developer who is trying to buy the club. Well, Mac gets arrested for Chuck's murder, and Bernadette sets out to clear his good name. This kind of sounds like a soap opera, and it kind of is, a little southern twist soap opera, but it's really good. Let's see how it stacks up to the cozy mystery recipe. Ingredient one, the small town. 
This book is set in Sugar Creek Gap, Kentucky. This is a real town, and this book makes you feel like you're visiting. Ingredient 2, a sidekick. Iris, who owns a bakery called Pie in the Sky, is Bernadette's best friend. Again, this sidekick is the perfect complement to Bernadette. Ingredient 3, a pet. So Bernadette owns a cat named Rowena. She's not a huge character, but definitely present in the book and is even on the cover of these books, so she's definitely in this story. Ingredient 4, food. In this book, there is so much pie. Iris owns a bakery called Pie in the Face, so there's a lot of pie. They also mention other food, but the pie definitely stands out and will leave you craving pie. Ingredient 5, a love triangle. So, kind of, but no, not in this book. Bernadette is a widow and is not currently dating anyone. There is one character who could potentially be a love interest, but you'll have to read to find out because it would be Spoiler City if I mention much else. Now this book is really cute and it even references right in the beginning Hallmark Mysteries and how it's always a baker who solves the crime. So I love how self-aware this book is and I also was blown away by the ending. Like, whoa, wow, that ending. So this one is highly recommended. I definitely think read to the end because very end is where your mind gets blown. I will say it did not make me feel like becoming a mail carrier unless I wanted to find out all the town's gossip, but I think you have to stretch the truth a little bit with this book because I'm pretty sure real mail carriers, they've got some of our info, but uh, I really hope they don't have as much as Bernadette has. Now this book has a 4.46 rating on Goodreads with 273 ratings, so that's a very high rating and I recommend it as well. If you've been working on home projects during this pandemic, then you definitely want to check out The Body in the Attic. This is book one of the Jazzy Xander's mystery series, and it's by Judy Lynn, who is actually a romance author before this. This was published in 2018, and book Four was actually published last month, with book five being set to be published in September. This book does not have the usual light and fluffy plot, so heads up now that this one is perfect for anyone who isn't sold on the Hallmark-style murder mystery. It's also perfect for anyone who loves HGTV. Jazzy and Jared are house flippers, along with their contractor Ansel. They buy a house that belonged to an ex-boyfriend of her aunt who ran away from home 20-something years ago. When they're going through the house, they find this old chest, and inside, they find the aunt's body. Jazzy is actually a reluctant sleuth here, so unlike the other sleuths we've talked about, she doesn't go searching for a killer or anything. Actually, the detective here in this story, Detective Gaff, is opposite of most law enforcement characters in Cozy's, too. He keeps asking Jazzy to go with him to interview suspects, and I'll admit this was the hardest part for me to believe. I can suspend disbelief for a lot of things that amateurs do, 
like breaking and entering or recording conversations illegally. But professional law enforcement officers wouldn't put a civilian in possibly dangerous scenarios. They're always the ones telling the civilian to back down and leave it to the professionals for their safety. And also, Jazzy's got a job to do. He is not paying her to keep leaving work, but that's just my rant. So I really did like the book and I do recommend it, but that little side note was slightly harder to believe. I will say though, this book did make me come up with way too many house projects that I would like to do starting now. But first I'd like to find out where Jazzy gets all this money for all of these house projects, because she does a lot of really awesome renovations that I just wish I had the budget for. Alright, so let's see how this one stacks up to the recipe for a cozy mystery. First, the small town. This is not set in a small town. It's set in River Bluffs, Indiana, which is fictional, but it's mentioned that it's the second largest city in Indiana. Now, the second largest city in Indiana is Fort Wayne. And the street that Jazzy's parents live near, and the street that Jazzy lives on, are real streets in Fort Wayne. The two restaurants that are mentioned are also real in Fort Wayne. Your girl did some research for this book, okay? I needed to know. Was this Fort Wayne? Was this some other town? Where was this? The verdict is this was set in Fort Wayne, but they're calling it River Bluffs. They also mention another street later that's actually in Fort Wayne. So that proved me, case closed, this is Fort Wayne. They also talked about Battle Creek, Michigan and how far that was from quote-unquote River Bluffs, Indiana. So of course I googled it and that's the same distance that Battle Creek, Michigan is from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Fort Wayne, Indiana is not a small town. So this book is not exactly set in a small town. But, in the book, a lot of people in River Bluffs knew her aunt who died. Someone in her family owns a body shop that it seems like everybody goes to. There seems to be only one country club in this town. Her dad owns a hardware store that a lot of people seem to use. Her mom owns a beauty salon. So it has a small town feel now. Does it work? Yes, if you can suspend disbelief a little bit. If you've lived in a big city, then this seems like it'd be a little bit hard that there's one officer who comes into town when, you know, big city is going to have hundreds of detectives. But if you can suspend disbelief for that, it honestly is not a big deal that this isn't a tiny town. Ingredient number two, a sidekick. So I am going to argue that Jazzy's sidekick is her cousin, Jared. But that's, that's definitely up for argument. Because there's a lot of characters in this book that could fight to be her sidekick. She has her sister, but her sister didn't really, wasn't given a lot of information. So I wouldn't say that she's a sidekick. You could also say that the detective who keeps taking her to all these places is her sidekick. That would be groundbreaking for a cozy mystery, because usually it's the detective and the sleuth who are at war with each other, so that would be kind of cool for a sidekick. So maybe we go with Detective Gaff as her sidekick, which is pretty cool. This cozy is obviously breaking the rules, but it is definitely a cozy. And if you look at the cover, you'll even see it's clearly a cozy mystery. All right, 
Ingredient number three is a pet. So Jazzy's mom and dad have two Labradoodles and Ansel has a pug named George. So there's definitely pets in this book. Check that one off. We at least got one of the ingredients. Ingredient number four is food. Alright, this one comes with a warning. This book may put you in a food coma. Seriously, there is so much food. Jazzy somehow finds time to renovate homes, investigate murder, and cook like she's Martha Stewart. They do order food. There's like Chinese food and pizza. But my girl Jazzy is out here making ribs, fried chicken, shrimp cocktail, salmon, pies, like so many pies, again with the pies. She's also making watermelon salsa, which someone needs to let me know. What is watermelon salsa? I did Google it. It felt like it was confusing my mind because it looks like salsa, but instead of tomatoes, it's watermelon. Not sold. Not sold. But in the back of this book, there's actually a recipe for her ribs and her bruschetta. It's bruschetta with some sort of bean dip. Not really sure about that one either. But there is a lot of food. Like, just like a grocery store, don't start this book hungry, okay? It will make you want to grab every food inside, start cooking. Maybe cooking will be your new hobby. And you'll have to go see my girl Joanne Fluke for some recipes over there. Okay, so the last ingredient is a love triangle. Does this one have one? No. There is only one guy her age in this book who isn't related to her. Okay, his name is Ansel. I've mentioned him before. She says he's eye candy. But Ansel is dating Emily, so he's not exactly available. And Ansel and Jazzy are actually a test of that men and women can't be friends theory. They work together and hang out together a ton. Harry, from when Harry met Sally, would have a lot to say about this relationship. Will these two be like Harry and Sally and become a friends-to-lovers storyline? You will have to read to find out. Not gonna spoil it. Alright, so this book clearly does not follow the recipe for a cozy mystery. It doesn't have a lot of the common ingredients, but it has a 4.07 rating on Goodreads, which is so high. It's got 567 ratings, which is, you know, it's decent. Um, still a very high rating for that amount of ratings. I would highly recommend it too. Just no going in. This is not your light and fluffy. Like, the storyline is her aunt who's dead. Like, that's not exactly as fun as the stranger comes into town and whoop, he's gone. So it's a little bit, a little bit heavier, but um, highly recommend this one too, especially for all of my HGTV lovers out there. Alright, finally, if you have finally started writing a book, a story, a poem, you've just been writing, this is what you've done to cope with the pandemic, then you definitely need to read This Pen for Hire by Laura Levine. This is book one of the Jane Austen mystery series. Now this was first published in 2003, so we're going to have the same caveat that we had with the book came out in 2000. It's a little bit old, slightly dated, so just 
go in knowing the historical context of the book. But this series is up to 17 books now. So it's definitely long-standing. That 17th book came out last year. I don't know if there's an 18th, but at this rate, probably. In this pen for hire, our protagonist is Jane Austen, spelled slightly differently than the more famous Jane Austen, and she's a freelance writer in Beverly Hills. Guys, she lives in Beverly Hills on a freelancer's income. So she takes jobs when they come, regardless of how absurd the request may be. This time, the request is from a geeky guy who lives with his mom. He's asking Jane to write a lovely letter to his aerobics instructor in the hopes that she'll go out on a date with him. Jane agrees, but unfortunately... Even though the aerobics instructor says, yeah, I'll go out on a date with you. When he arrives for the date, he finds the aerobics instructor has been shot and killed in her apartment. He is quickly arrested and charged with this murder. So now Jane feels like she's partly to blame and sets off, like all good sleuths in a cozy mystery, to clear his good name. I will give a minor heads up that this book is the least PG of the lot that I've mentioned today, so it may not be suitable for everyone. It is, however, really funny, which makes sense because it is written by a comedy writer. Alright, so let's see how it stacks up against the recipe. First is A Small Town. Now, I already mentioned that this is set in Beverly Hills. If you're not familiar with L.A., Beverly Hills is in L.A. County, but Beverly Hills itself is actually extremely small. So it's kind of small town-ish, maybe. But Beverly Hills is real. Um, Jane lives in a one-bedroom apartment, described as having a fireplace, and or I guess it's a one-bedroom duplex. I'm not sure Beverly Hills has a lot of those, but probably her apartment is at least 2500 a month. Another place that is mentioned is the Bentley, which is a real place in Westwood, so just a slight change, name change there. So while this isn't technically a small town, Laura Levine actually makes the town feel small, which means if you know LA at all, you'll have to suspend disbelief a bit for this to work, but it works just fine for me. Alright, number two is a sidekick. So her BFF in this book is Candy, and again is quite opposite of her, therefore making her the perfect complement. There's also a guy who could be considered a sidekick, but I'm saving him for the love triangle, so stay tuned for that. Ingredient three is a pet. Jane has a pet named Prozac, a cat named Prozac. She talks to Prozac quite a bit and even bounces ideas off of her, so check, she definitely has a pet for this cozy mystery. Ingredient number four is food. So Jane keeps going to the fridge while writing, and she even meets a friend at a fancy restaurant just in chapter one. So there's a lot of food in this book. She orders food a lot, pizza, Chinese. She even steals a smoothie, so she's definitely eating and mentioning food quite a bit. And this one may make you crave Chinese takeout. 
the last ingredient, the love triangle. This book does not follow the recipe exactly, obviously no small town, and not a huge love triangle. There is a male character, like I mentioned, who is involved, and she's quite interested in him. So that could be part one of the triangle, like side one of the triangle, but due to spoilers, I am not going to say any more. There's also a neighbor who she hates and could become an enemies to lovers trope, but I highly doubt that. I don't see this book going in that direction. And I admit, I've only read this first book. I read this one years ago, and I reread it this week. Um, now I'd like to read the rest of the series, because I honestly had forgotten that this one was there. So this is pretty exciting that I got to do this episode and find this book all over again. Still don't think that the neighbor's going to become enemies to lovers, but you never know. This Pen for Hire has a 3.69 rating on Goodreads with 4,600 ratings. I haven't checked the ratings for the other books, but this one is hilarious, and if you're needing a funny distraction, I would recommend this one over all the others. This is probably the funniest one. If this didn't sound like the best book for you and you still need funny, then I would go with Murder's No Votive Confidence, because that one's pretty funny too. Alright, so there you have the recipe for Cozy Mystery and five books that might work for you based on how you've been spending your pandemic. Now if none of these books worked for you and you've been having trouble just getting into reading at all, then definitely stay tuned next week because the next episode is going to be all about how to get out of a reading slump. I am really excited to give you guys some cool ideas that might help you get back into reading. Until then, you can stay in touch with me on Goodreads or Instagram at Frankie's Mama Reads, and I will catch you all next week.